Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be with me this morning, that you would speak through me, that you would help me to do justice to your word. God, as I handle that which is holy, I ask that you would make me holy. God, that the wisdom of the people here wouldn't rest on my wisdom, but on yours. God, overwhelm me with your grace and with your power. Let your Holy Spirit, which is in me, well up and overflow. God, I just pray that your word would be spoken here. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. It's very important to start a conversation in the right way. The beginnings of our conversation are incredibly important to the way the rest of the conversation goes. That's often been a problem for me. Anybody who knows me for any amount of time knows that I'm terrible with names. I'm really, really bad at them. Okay, and it's, so if I come up to you and I'm like, hey, remind me again what your name is, it's not because you're not important to me. It's because I'm really, really, really bad with names. Let me tell you how bad at names I am. When I went to college, I went to Texas A&M, and I was in the Corps of Cadets. And one of the most important things that you do when you're in the Corps of Cadets, there's this little ritual that you do. When you meet people, you run up to them and you shake their hand and you tell them what your name is and they tell you what their name is. And it's supposed to build up this camaraderie there. And it's really important that you remember their names, especially when they're the ones that can mete out punishment because nobody likes it when you forget their name. But again, I'm really, really, really bad at names. And pressure doesn't make it easier. And so for the first eight months that I was there, I would run out in the hallway and I'd do my little thing and, and some upperclassman would yell at me and I'd brace up against the wall. And, and at the point where I was supposed to say, you know, howdy, Mr. Johnson, sir. I would have to be like, howdy, Fishbitto's my name. And be like, Better we live in the same dorm, and I've seen you literally every day for the last six months. How is it that you don't remember my name? And then I don't remember much that would happen after that because it usually involved illegal amounts of hazing. But it didn't just limit itself to that environment. Because you see, when you're a young man in college, you're trying to meet girls, not in a sleazy way, like in, a, like in a, a cool, like, hey, I want to get to know you. Let's go on a date way. Back before they had 
Bumble and Tinder and Grindr and whatever these other things that are being used now, we had what was called a telephone. And before we had cell phones, we had a cordless phone. That was cool. I had a list of numbers that I had on my dry erase board, and I would call people up. So I met this girl. It wasn't Shannon, by the way. She's not here today, so it's okay. Y'all don't tell her I'm telling you the story. So I met this girl in my dance class, a dance class that Shannon was supposed to take with me, but that's a much longer story for a much longer day. <laughs> so I go to meet this girl in dance class. She's good looking. She seems to be interested in me. She gives me her phone number, and I call her up. And I say, hey, uh, <laughs> how's it going? Uh, <laughs> and she said, you don't remember my name, do you? And I was like, sure I do. Uh, <laughs> dial tone. <laughs> Because how you start a conversation is critically important to the way the rest of the conversation is going to go. Why do I mention that today, other than the fact that I enjoy making fun of myself? Because Jesus is going to his disciples and he is talking to them about prayer. And he begins his great model prayer with instructions on how his people should start. Now, you guys that were with us last week know that we've entered into this time of studying prayer. Last week, we, we began to look at the great model prayer that Jesus brought out to give us an example to his followers. Just as kind of a reminder of where we are, we're in the book of Matthew. It's a book of types where, where Jesus is kind of recasting himself uh, so that he is bringing back memories of older uh, images in the Old Testament. He's kind of fulfilling these promises that were made. And in this particular time, Jesus is, is kind of recasting himself as the new Moses. So he's gone on top of a hill, right? That's why it's in the Sermon on the Mount, as opposed to the Sermon on the Plain, okay? This is the Sermon on the Mount. So he's gone up on top of a big hill the way that Moses did. And he is beginning to lay out the law to the people the way that Moses did. Kind of following that? Okay, and so he went through and he did the Beatitudes and he talked through different things. And then he began to talk about what piety looks like for someone in the kingdom of God. How it is that we're supposed to relate to God in a healthy way. His explanation has kind of a structure to it. So if you read through this passage in its entirety, what you're going to see is there's repeated words. That's not because Jesus is a bad speaker. He uses those repeated words in order to draw our attention to things. Okay, so what's the structure? The overall structure goes something like this. When you pray, don't do this. When you pray, instead, do this. Okay? Then he repeats it. When you pray, don't do this. Don't be like the Gentiles who repeat words over and over and over again. Instead, pray like this. And then he lays out the Lord's Prayer. Well, even in the Lord's Prayer, there's a structure. If we look at the Lord's Prayer, you know what we find? We find that there's three, there's six distinct clauses broken down into two sections. 
The first section is all about how we are supposed to address God. The second section is all about how we're supposed to ask for things from God. Okay, so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be breaking down the Lord's Prayer kind of along these lines. The first section, though, is going to talk about how we are supposed to address God. When we come before God, we're supposed to address him in a particular spirit, in a particular way. And that's how what we talked about last week, right? We don't want to pray to God in a way that draws attention to ourselves. We're not praying to God in front of other people to get their attention. We're praying to God in humility to speak to him. We're not praying to God to manipulate him. We're praying to God to speak to him so that we can be changed. And this week, he's going to tell us the ways that we're supposed to address God. What is supposed to be on our heart first when we come into the presence of God? So what are we supposed to do when we come into the presence of God first? Well, Jesus begins his prayer with a simple and yet powerful address, like right off the bat. What he does is different. We read, and when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now, I want to stop there for just a minute. I know what you're thinking right now. How are we ever going to get through this whole prayer if you stop at the first word? But just humor me. Because I think sometimes when we read through Scripture, for many of us, this prayer has been a huge part of our life since we were children. It's one of the first things that we learn as children. And, and unfortunately, that which we do over and over and over again, while we can memorize it, sometimes we can begin to take it for granted, right? We can begin to let it lose its poignancy. So I just want to stop here for a second and I want to dwell on this. To help, you, to help you understand what I'm talking about, I want to I, I beg your pardon here for a minute. I want to read a couple of other types of prayers, okay? So Islam and Christianity and Judaism are all Abrahamic religions, right? We all interact with a personal God in some way. So we're not going to talk about Buddhist prayer because it's totally different, okay? But I want to look at the way that, that Jews begin their prayers, and the way that Arabs or Muslims begin their prayers, okay? So growing up, I would go to the synagogue with my Jewish relatives, and we would come in, and the first thing that we would do as part of the worship services, we would say, Baruch Hatah which means, blessed are you, O God, ruler of the universe. Thank you for giving us life and for sustaining us and enabling us to reach this time. If you are, later on, when I was in the Marine Corps, I had uh, an Arabic roommate. He was Tunisian and he was Muslim. And when he would pray, he would pray in Arabic. Uh, and, and when I translated what he would say, it would go something like this. God is great. Allahu Akbar. All the best compliments and prayers and good things are for Allah. Peace and Allah's mercy and blessing be upon you, O Prophet. Peace be on us and on the pious slaves of Allah. I testify that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah. That's how a Muslim begins his prayer. Both of these prayers are praying to a God who is personal but who is distant. Right? This is a God who is transcendent, a God who is other, a God who is away, a God who is untouchable. How does Jesus tell us to start? Jesus tells us to address God this way. We are to address him as Father. 
I want you to stop for a moment. I, I want you to think about that for a second. We don't address him as Yahweh at Sabaoth, God of hosts. We don't address him as dread Lord of the universe. Even though he is both of those things, Jesus tells us to address him as Father, and not just as Father, which is formal, but as Abba, which as close as we can figure means something like Dad or Daddy. Let that sink in for a second. The ruler of the universe the creator of all things, has sent his one and only son to us to tell us that we may come into his presence and address him in terms of intimacy that would have made a first century Jew cringe or, or stone you. How amazing, how awesome is it that we can go into the presence of God and call him dad. He is our father he loves us and he cares for us. He sits enthroned in heaven and yet we are told that we can enter into his presence, a privilege that few, if any, were allowed to do. I, I want you to think about that for a second. What an amazing honor it is for us as Christians to be able to go into the presence of God and address him as Father. The entirety of the Old Testament is built around the idea that you can't do that. The entirety, if you've ever wondered, like, why do we have all these stupid laws in Genesis and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? And I know some of you have thought that. Most of you have thought that. Whenever we study, they're like, well, these are dumb laws. Why would we do this? Why do you have to tie a pigeon to another pigeon and then you kickle one and you paint the blood? That's dumb. Who does that? All of that is there to paint a picture of the fact that God is holy and you are not holy and that you cannot go into his presence unclean. And yet all of us now have the right to go into his presence and call him father. Oh, brothers and sisters, we begin our adoration of the father by celebrating intimacy with him. He is transcendent. He created the universe. We can, in all correctness, say with Paul, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so his thoughts are above our thoughts. And yet this same God comes into our presence, allows us into his no, oh, brothers and sisters, one of the problems that we face as Christians is complacency. We take things for granted and nothing more is more true than the way that we treat our relationship with God. He is our loving father. He bought us at the price of his son and he wants a relationship with us. And when he speaks to us, it's not with condemnation. It is with the loving heart of a father. That's one of the ways that we know it's his voice. One of the exercises that we do in discipleship is we listen for the words of God. We listen to God as he speaks to us. And one of the things that we say is, you know it's God when he sounds like a father. Now understand this, anybody who has ever done dumb things in their life, like many of us have, 
right? We know that a father doesn't necessarily have to approve of everything that we do, right? If you go stealing stop signs and leaving them in the front yard of your math teacher, not saying that that happened, but let's say theoretically it happened, and your parents found out, your dad isn't going to say, there, there, son, I'm so proud of you. Fly on, you little angel. Go do what your heart feels is right. If he's a good father. I mean, maybe your father did. I don't know. So a father can be upset with you, right? A father can call you to account for things. But always in that process, a good father will bring love. And the point of view is not, you're a miserable screw up. You're never going to be good. You're a terrible person. It's always, there are so many better things for you. I want good things for you. If you would do what I told you to do, then this would turn out well. But you continue to do what you want to do and bad things happen. That's what the heart of a father is. And maybe you didn't have a father like that. Maybe you can't imagine somebody speaking to you that way. I want you to know this morning, that is the Father's heart of God for you. He's not here to crush you or destroy you. He is here to lovingly guide you so that you look more and more like his son Jesus and you bring him glory. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus will stand on a hill overlooking Jerusalem and he will reflect the saving heart of God. He will say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? This is the Father's heart of God. He wants to save you and protect you. I think probably the best example of this, I, want you to, I just want you to take a moment and I, and I want you to think to that amazing, classic 2008 movie, Taken. Liam Neeson, probably one of the best actors to ever grace the silver screen, in my opinion. I love Liam Neeson. I think he's a good goo. Right? And we know that scene, he's like, you know, I have a specific skill set. Right? He's talking on the phone in that cool Liam Neeson accent. Right? The whole story is based around, yeah, you know, based around this guy whose daughter gets kidnapped by wicked, evil men. There's no nuance in this. There's not, no, no like, let me understand your backstory. Why are you? No, no, these are evil guys. Right? Which sets up Liam Neeson to be able to go and kill all of them. And you're like, yes, go do it. So Liam Neeson's daughter gets kidnapped by, by sex traffickers and he has to go track them down. And in the final scene of the movie, spoiler alerts, if you don't want to know how the movie ends, well, you're going to know. <laughs> Liam Neeson goes, he's on a boat where like this Saudi sheik has bought his daughter. Like this is, this is quintessential American cinema. The sheik has gotten the daughter and, and he's about to abuse her and Liam Neeson goes through the, sh the ship and kills everybody, right? He's killing everybody left, right, and center. Finally, at the last, he fights the bad guy and kills him. And then here's the sheik with his knife against his daughter's throat and Liam Neeson comes out there and he's got his gun and he just shoots him right between the eyes. And, and his daughter 
sees that it's her dad and that she's been rescued and she's been redeemed. And the only thing that she says to him as she falls into his arms is, Daddy. Brothers and sisters, that is our life. We have been stolen. We have been kidnapped by the prince of evil. And it is our father, God, who sends his son to redeem us. And so when we go into his presence, we can cry out with every scrap of who we are, Daddy. Daddy, you saved me. And that's the first word of this whole prayer. We go into the presence of God, declaring him to be Father. What do we do after we do that? See, prayer begins with an intimate declaration of the fatherhood of God, but it doesn't remain there. Because our faith is childlike, but it's not childish. We go into his presence declaring that he is father and then declaring his greatness. Jesus leads his followers to elevate the glory and the majesty of God. What do they say? He says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this too is, is kind of weird. Like if you read this in Greek, it, it doesn't make sense. Because in English, it makes it sound like the word is past tense, like his name was made holy in the past, right? But that's not what it is. It's an aorist, perfect tense imperative. And I was not a great Greek student. I'm just throwing that out there. But it, it's, a, it's something that is a continuing action that happens to itself and we're telling God to do that. And so it's really hard to translate that in English. But what Jesus is telling us to do is that we have a role both in declaring the holiness of God and in making the name of God holy. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God's people are told over and over and over again that it is our job to declare the holiness of God. See, holiness means set apart. It means without sin, without blemish, perfect. It means, in, in a word, not us. Like, if you were to look at, like, what is the opposite of holy, it would be us, <laughs> We are profane. Unlike any other aspect of God's creation, we have the ability to look God in the eye and spit in his face and tell him no. Look, think all the way back to the garden. Hey, you can eat anything you want to, run around naked, do naked stuff, it's great. Don't eat this one fruit, no. No. Anyone who has a child knows what that is. What's the first word your child knows? It's no. And they use it. <laughs> it's our heart, guys. We are unholy. We are profane. And yet we're being called on to declare the holiness of God. The children of God are called to sanctify the name of the Lord in our prayers based on the things that he's done for us and the things that he's promised to do. In the book of Isaiah, 
The prophet Isaiah is declaring to the people that this horrible judgment that's been laid on them will one day be turned back by God and that their children that have been brought away into captivity will be brought back to them. And in that moment, when, and, he, and it says this in verse 20, chapter 29, verse 23, for when he, Israel, sees his children, the work of my hand in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Talking about God. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. When we see the things that God has done, when we see the amazing acts of mercy and faithfulness, we can declare the holiness of God. Or Mary in her great song of praise. She looks at the work that God is doing in her life and her response is to declare the holiness of God. Luke 1.49, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, and all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Later on, Peter will declare that it is the role of every Christian to honor Christ in their heart as Lord and holy, and that we will always need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Your job, guys, your job, the one reason you exist in all the world throughout time is to glorify God by declaring his holiness. But, but that's not just what we're supposed to do there. Because not only are we supposed to declare his holiness, we are to make his name holy. Now, how on earth can I, a profane sinner, come into the presence of God and dare to make his name holy? How can that which is unclean clean that which is already clean? I want you to think about that amazing scene at the beginning of Isaiah when Isaiah has come into the temple and he's just a normal guy and he comes into the temple of God and he says, he says he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his glory fills the temple and the smoke goes up and the burning ones are there proclaiming the name of God and he looks at that and he falls to his knees and you know what he says? He says, woe is me for I I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the glory of God. He's broken. And yet, what happens next? One of the burning ones, one of the angels of the Lord come down and they, they fly to the altar and they get tongs and they grab a burning coal from the altar and they come over to him and they touch his lips and they make him holy. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to hallow the name of God and we have been enabled to hallow the name of God because God has made us holy. Through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, he took our sins. We, that's the reason we can go into the presence of God. That's the reason we can call him Father. And it's the reason that we can follow Jesus' guidance here to, to hallow his name. 
And so we begin our prayers to our heavenly Father by declaring his holiness. And we can declare his holiness because we have been made holy. And guys, I want you to ask this question. Can you honestly say that as you come before God in prayer that you hallow the name of God? Do you make it holy through your actions or your words? How often do we come before our God exalting our own preferences, our own prejudices, our own desires? We dare to come into the presence of God, call him Father while we have hatred in our heart towards our brothers. We dare to profane the presence of the living God by worshiping idols in his presence. We come into his presence in prayer and we elevate money or success or power. Oh, brothers and sisters, are you coming before him polluted by the world? Every time we come before him, we should reflect on the holiness that has been bought for us at the price of God's son. And we should take that seriously. There's a reason this stuff comes first. Before we go to him with our list of requests, Jesus tells us that we are supposed to spend time contemplating and extolling the glory and the holiness of God. But we're not just supposed to extol his holiness and his intimacy. We're also supposed to pray the first thing that we pray for is that his, his will gets done. When we come before the God of the universe declaring his holiness, our adoration doesn't stop there. What does Jesus tell us to do? He says, after this we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first thing that we're asking for is that his kingdom will come. That what is happening in the divine world would be made manifest in the world that we live in. This was the ministry that Jesus came and preached. He talked about the coming of the, the kingdom of God. We see it over and over and over again in scripture. It's the way that he began his ministry. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For the Jews of this time, the kingdom of God re re referred to that time when God would move into the history of the world and would establish a, a kingdom on earth and he would govern it as their king. That his, his son, the Messiah, would rule. And that all of God's enemies would be crushed. That the promise that was made to Abraham all of those millennia before that his seed would bless the world and that his, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. It's the fulfillment of those promises. And so when we come before him and we say, your kingdom come, O God, we are saying, Lord, fulfill this promise that you've made. Manifest your kingdom now. But it doesn't just stop there either. Not only are they supposed to manifest, they pray that God would manifest his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, he is supposed to do his will. 
And I think this, this is one of those critical points where we get so muddled in prayer. So much of prayer is us trying to make our will manifest. Right? So much of prayer is saying, Lord, my will be done. Do my will. Give me this thing that I want. Heal this person that I want healed. Save this person that I want saved. Give me this thing that I want. And yet before we come to the time of lifting up our petitions to him, the first thing that we're supposed to pray is, Lord, your will be done. Listen to me. This isn't the last time that Jesus is going to say this. Because God's will, sometimes God's will is hard. Sometimes God's will takes everything that we have. The next time Jesus is going to say, not my will, but your will, is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's on his knees shedding drops of blood because he does not want to go to the cross. And so he cries out to his father, Daddy, please, please don't make me do this. You think it's hard to bring your kids to soccer practice. Think how hard it is to send your son to die on a cross. Daddy, don't make me do this. And what's the very next words he says? But not my will, your will. This is the heart of prayer. That we go to God in intimacy, trusting in his power, open to his will. See, the disciples should pray for a world that is a reflection of heaven. He wanted his disciples to understand that effective prayer begins with adoration. And so, guys, before we begin to think about asking God for the stuff that we need, we need to spend time declaring who God is. We need to remember that prayer is an act of worship that transforms us. Guys, you got to know that as, as, as we sat down and, and prepared this sermon and, and went through and talked about it, that, that both Nick and I were overwhelmed by the holiness of God and by the profanity that I, that I have all too often brought to this prayer. As I skip through the adoration to get to my requests. Guys, the point of all of this is not that we would make God do what we want him to do, but it's that we would be transformed, that we would be changed so that we want the things that he wants to give us. That is the point of prayer. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if, your word, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, then ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. If we remain in God and his word remains in us, then we will ask for the things that he wants to give us. And that happens only when we dwell on the holiness and transcendent majesty of God. Guys, we need to remember that we can declare the holiness of God because God is our Father. 
And so because he is our father, we've got to begin our prayers with adoration, reflecting on the holiness of God as we wait for his coming kingdom. If God is our father, then we can hallow the name of God. If God is our father, then we can pray for his kingdom to come because we know that we have a place in it. If God is our father, we can pray for his will to be done because we know that he has promised that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, if we are the sons and the daughters of God, then we can reflect on how his will has been done and is being done and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to have a time of reflection. And I'm going to ask you to silently consider the work that God is doing in your life right now. For some of you, that will mean submitting to God's lordship over whatever place in your life you find yourself. It means listening to God when he calls you into service in his kingdom to volunteer or to pray or to make peace. All of these things that God lays out to you on a daily basis that you ignore him about. For some of you, though, that process begins as you accept God as Father. Because some of you don't have him as Father. And so if you've never made a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never made a decision to accept him as Father and God, I would encourage you to come forward so that we can tell you how to do that. We have deacons that are going to be up forward here that can pray with you and can lead you through that process. And wherever you are this morning, whether you need to accept Jesus or you just need prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward and to accept the adoring, glorious hand of your Father God.